0: Section 4 of A Journey Round My Room by Xavier de Maistre, translated by Henry Atwell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10. The Portrait But you must not let yourself think that instead of keeping my promise to describe my journey round my room, I am beating the bush to see how I can evade the difficulty. This would be a great mistake on your part, for our journey is really going on. And while my soul, falling back on her own resources, was in the last chapter threading the mazy paths of metaphysics, I had so placed myself in my armchair that his front legs being raised about two inches from the floor, I was able, by balancing myself from left to right, to make way by degrees and at last, almost without knowing it, to get close to the wall, for this is how I travel when not pressed for time. When there, my hand possessed itself by a mere mechanical effort of the portrait of Madame de Hucasselle, and the other amused itself with removing the dust which covered it, this occupation produced a feeling of quiet pleasure, and the pleasure was conveyed to my soul, lost though it was in the vast plains of heaven. For it is well to observe that when the mind is thus travelling in space, it still keeps linked to the senses by a secret and subtle chain, so that, without being distracted from its occupations, it can participate in the peaceful joys of the other. But should this pleasure reach a certain pitch, or should the soul be struck by some unexpected vision, it forthwith descends swift as lightning and resumes its place. And that is just what happened to me while dusting the picture. Whilst the cloth removed the dust and brought to light those flaxen curls and the wreaths of roses that crowned them, my soul, from the sun, whither she had transported herself, felt a slight thrill of pleasure and partook sympathetically of the joy of my heart. This joy became less indistinct and more lively when, by a single sweep, The beautiful forehead of that charming face was revealed. My soul was on the point of leaving the skies in order to enjoy the spectacle. But had she been in the Elysian Fields, had she been engaged in a seraphic concert, she could not have stayed a single second longer when her companion, glowing with the work, Seized a proffered sponge, and passed it at once over the eyebrows and the eyes, over the nose, over that mouth. Ah, heavens! My heart beats at the thought, over the chin and neck. It was the work of an instant. The whole face seemed suddenly recalled into existence. My soul precipitated herself like a falling star from the sky. She found the other in a state of ecstasy, which she herself increased by sharing it. This strange and unexpected position caused all thought of time and space to vanish from my mind. I lived for a moment in the past, and, contrary to the order of nature, I grew young again. Yes, before me stands that adored one. Tis she, her very self. She smiles on me. She will speak and own her love. That glance. Come, let me press thee to my heart. O my loved one, my other self. Partake with me this intoxicating bliss. The moment was short, but ravishing. Cool reason soon reasserted her sway, and in the twinkling of an eye I had grown a whole year older. My heart grew icy cold, and I found myself on a level with the crowd of heedless ones who throng the earth. Chapter 11 Rose and White but we must not anticipate events. My hurry to communicate to the reader my system of the soul and animal caused me to abandon the description of my bed earlier than I ought to have done. When I have finished this description, I will continue my journey where I interrupted it in the last chapter. But let me pray you to bear in mind that we left one half of my ego four steps from my bureau, close to the wall, and holding the portrait of Madame de haute In speaking of my bed, I forgot to recommend every man to have, if possible, a bed with rose and white furniture. There can be no doubt that colours so far affect us as to make us cheerful or sad, according to their hues. Now, rose and white are two colours that are consecrated to pleasure. Nature, in bestowing them upon the rose, has given her the crown of Flora's realm and when the sky would announce to the world a fine day, it paints the clouds at sunrise with this charming tint. One day we were, with some difficulty, climbing a steep pathway. The amiable Rosalie, whose agility had given her wings, was far in front. We could not overtake her. All on a sudden, having reached the top of a hillock, she turned toward us to take breath and smiled at our slowness. Never, perhaps, did the two colours whose praise I proclaim so triumph. Her burning cheeks, her coral lips, her alabaster neck, were thrown into relief by the verdure around and entranced us all. We cannot but pause and gaze upon her. I will not speak of her blue eyes, or the glance she cast upon us, because this would be going from the subject, and because I dwell upon these memories as little as possible. Let it suffice that I have given the best illustration conceivable of the superiority of these two colours over all others, and of their influence upon the happiness of man. Here will I stop for today. Of what subject can I treat which would not now be insipid? What idea is not effaced by this idea? I do not even know when I shall be able to resume my work. If I go on with it at all? and if the reader desire to see its termination, let him betake himself to the angel who distributes thoughts, and beg him to cease to mingle with the disconnected thoughts he showers upon me at every moment the image of that hillock. If this precaution is not taken, my journey will be a failure. Chapter 12 The Hillock Dot 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 chapter 13 a halt my efforts are useless i must sojourn here a while whether i will or not the halt is irresistible end of section 4